Hi, good afternoon. This is Barbie Does Change podcast, test-free, reading another story from the 1950s collection. Called Juvenile Delinquent, 1961. Juvenile Delinquent, 1961, by Tess Free. I'm a juvenile delinquent at 12. This meant I committed crimes when I was 10 or 11. It took a year to get caught, investigated, charged, the paperwork done, tried and prosecuted at 12, and put on probation for years until the end of my sophomore year, which then I would be 16. The cops said I have to stay home a lot. I was given a whole list of rules. Everything was written on paper. But the first one was staying home. Home. The loneliness grabbed me as I tried to stay indoors, but I managed to sneak around at night to meet my boyfriends for loving in the dark, wet basements. Just like the beer called the men out to bars for a nightcap, my body demanded hugs because now everything I did was illegal and I cried all the time and I needed soothing and care. Everything I liked was put on my list of don'ts by the court and I went insane. What kind of life was I going to have now on probation followed by police and plainclothesmen all over town? How I missed the days when nobody was watching us. When I got to be a juvenile delinquent, I didn't see it happen. The incident where they said I became a juvenile delinquent was on a boat. As I recall, it was a totally drift day, as when the bees tell you to scat along, keep moving. Such a boring, uneventful, hot, humid, plain, slow-ass day. I was pretty checked out. And six of us gang members were sauntering around the harbor, viewing the rich people's boats and waving to them as we walked around the luxury liners as they passed through the river, river's canal system. The Erie Canal, now dead, only lifted pleasure boats to and from the Great Lake, lifting and lowering up and down, creating pressure and gushing green water to get these yachts from the lake water to the river systems. Heading to New York, cutting to Buffalo, then take the scenic route along the lovely Erie Canal. Low bridge, everybody down. Low bridge, we're coming to a town. Water emptying into water, rushing and going somewhere my soul wanted to be but hadn't been yet. Water rising and lowering the boats like my emotions up and down. All this made such sense to me. This water was my soul, my love, and my mother. I wanted to die in this water, have it wrap around me, pull me down. I love this water more than anything except the trees. Trees and water, that's me. This very hot, muggy day, me and the girls were talking with a nice woman on her most luxurious cruise liner. The girls talked a long time, but I stayed back, preferring my own self. 
watching the ripples on the calm side of the canal. Someone went to the toilet in their boat, and soon we all left. Bye-bye, and off we went. Later in the bushes, when we stopped to have a breath, one of them pulled out a green wallet loaded with money. Oh, $80 or so. Oh, shit. What will happen now? Of course, the old gang rules applied. We had to divvy it up equally. Even the younger little kids got a cut. We each got about $12 and change. Now, this was nothing in our book, and it wasn't even recorded in our minds as a real robbery. In fact, it was so beneath us, we didn't even bother to record it as a real memory of wrongdoing, for sure. It didn't make it even on the list of things I'd have to report in confession. Not that I'm doing much of that anymore now that I'm a heathen in public school living with Protestants. In fact, none of these kids ever mentioned it again until we nearly all went up the river for taking that stupid lady's green wallet. Twelve bucks. Knowing me, I ate twelve dollars worth of those really red, amazing, chalky, candied lipsticks with a gold wrapper. Time rolled on like the big round roller steel flattener on the pavement, pavement, screeching and scratching on concrete and running through the town on, on the warm-up engine speed, slower than dog shit, the fucking jumping out of my skin. Holy Hannah is the loudest, most official thing I ever heard. The door vibrating like the varnish will begin popping off the cracks. Man, it ain't good. It ain't the landlord. It ain't my father. It is the cops. They asked my mother where I've been. Good question for her, but she doesn't ever really know. They brought me downtown and put me under the lights. My mother didn't go, thank God, and the big men were all in big brown trench coats, just like in the movies. They asked me questions over and over, and showing me the cell they had waiting for me. It dated back to the days of the soldier fort, and it smelled as bad with a damp mud puddle in the center. Did you steal the wallet on the boat in the canal? They wanted to know. Who did? Who wrote the note to the lady? The dick asked in rapid-fire questions, getting all red-faced drunk. I stared into the light and saw the hats of men standing around in their shadow best. Too afraid to have me see them, they just stood there. I looked down at my arms because I was freezing as usual. I noticed how white I was and how small. I just put my head down and out of the light. Note. Curious to know what note. So I might have to kill somebody for a good reason. This one, the cop said, and they produced a crumpled, scrawled mess of lettering that was some sort of apology for stealing the wallet. We're sorry. Forgive us. Don't send us to hell. Written plain, loud enough, and you can believe it, it was signed, Six Sorry Girls. My mind swirled up with a cigarette smoke as I went somewhere else. What and who the hell did this and we are so in trouble? The freaking morons I know sent the wallet back to the woman they robbed by the address on her license. It was the scrawling of a child. 
what kind of thieves are these people anyway? They're so dumb. Maybe everybody is really right about us. I don't know. I told the cops to mean I really didn't know who stole it. Well, it made no difference. I was there and I was guilty. So all the girls were put into rooms and and told the other one confessed. So they all blabbed and that was that. Now the town was going to get its wish as they started breaking up all the hoodlums and poor people and putting them in jail, six more of us immigrant hellions were busted in one foul swoop of, of a gavel. We're all accused and confirmed as thieves by each pointing to each other. They all violated major the major rule of never squealing on a gang member. They all blabbed except for me. I didn't talk at all. Fuck them all. Fuck them all. The lady on the boat doesn't even want to press charges, but it made no difference. The state will because they wanted to get as many of us as they could, and this summer they moved with intention of wrecking all of our lives. Where did all these people come from? Who are these guys in the brown trench coats? Well, since everybody testified against everybody else, we all had to go to court together, and at first... But at first, but then I would be tried individually. Papers came to my mother declaring me a juvenile delinquent. I have to admit, this was hard to bear. In court, I'm accused and pointed at and received endless probation, which really meant I was out of commission. It only took 66 different court appearances to get the whole goddamn thing straightened out. They exhausted the shit out of me, charging me, filing papers, dragging me in court, howling at me, filing papers, filing papers, following me, charging me, taking me back to court. Don't rush on. On this first horrible day of life reckon, all my friends were in court. We're so young, perhaps in grades four to seven, and everyone really looks very small to me. It's weird because everyone's parents are there too, and I notice how fat, stupid, and ugly we all are. With no teeth, unkept hair, fat, ulcerated faces, red with alcohol, and some had their slippers on. What a sorry bunch, including my own mom, a tall woman covered with a long, bleak, black, greasy apron that touched the floor. She was gaunt and pale and looked like a car mechanic covered with jet black grease. Everyone else looked sad, sick, and drunk and out of sorts, and after this day in court, as the adults figured to separate us, and after I got a new court date for separate sentencing, I went to the river to kill myself. The ice flows were bobbing up and down, and the current still carried them, heavy as they were, out beyond the lighthouse and into the great lake. The lake ate the ice flows as a meal and incorporated their icy coldness into the overall frigid temperatures of her great body. Oh, how I wanted to float out into the vastness of that lake. It was cold and dark. The ice looked colder than I'd ever, than ever, as I stood there staring down right where only months before I had jumped in to swim across to the grain elevators. Jump, jump. My stare began to make me dizzy and I fell in. 
I fell in. It was fucking cold. And you know what? That didn't count. I wanted to, I wanted to jump in and I wanted to slide beneath the ice floes out to the lake. But now that I fell in, I had to save myself. It was the worst day of my life. I couldn't even kill myself right. I was a fucking loser. Every day was a standalone day. Everything happened by itself and I was always getting surprised, but I did like being filled with electricity and any Sunday afternoon, I could be found dancing my ass off in teen centers way up in the big city about 30 miles from my town. When I was put on probation, that interrupted feeding my teenage lust because I was I was a great dancer. I had won dance contests and danced best, including with the gay guys. They were the best dancers. I learned everything from them and the hoodlums and the men coming back from jail who were taught by all the black people. And we learned all of that and did that those dances in our streets, in our town. I hitchhiked to larger cities to strut my stuff. Since I was invisible, I believed no one could see me except when I was dancing. All kids had parents who gave them rides. Cars meant freedom. The trouble was court. The court had said I could not be in any car. And second, I couldn't leave town like I was so used to doing. I had to stay put. My favorite dance hall was a stone's throw across the river that divided the counties. In trouble again and again. At 4 p.m. when the dance was over, the cops were sitting outside naming all the kids who had violated their probation and left the county and they would be brought back into court by week's end. My only relief was in question and that was dancing. Prohibition had a new meaning to me and it meant a ban again against having any fucking fun or laughing at all. I couldn't understand why these people were taking away the only things that I was good at. Why are they being so mean to me? Back in court. No, I hadn't seen anybody. I didn't see anybody. I really didn't see people, especially who said those ones who said they saw me. It was so weird. I was being seen everywhere and I was that I thought I wasn't. It was strange. I liked the hitchhiking. I liked carrying on. I was unafraid and anxious to start a new life and I have great skills. I wondered how I was ever going to get out of this town and I wanted to grow up. I didn't want to leave my beloved water and trees though, yet I had to graduate high school somehow. Everyone said I must, but that was so far in the future. I just wanted to get out. The court had figured out my life on paper. I had We all had new things to do. My mom had to work days now. They called the plant and told her she had to work the day shift. A new school for me for grade five, and now I was responsible to do the family shopping. Things got really strange. The court wanted her to care for us. She'd be home at night to take care of us, talk and do homework, cook and such. 
for the food. She was supposed to cook meals. She, she was supposed to wash dishes. And for the first 10 years, for the 10 years of our lives, we had never seen her. She couldn't do these things. And now the factory had had to, you know, she had to switch a shift. She began to feed us and she burned every single piece of meat and kept burning it for as long as I knew her. her. She really did not eat and neither did we because no one cooked. To do the grocery shopping, I pushed the shopping cart down in the slush and snow to the apart, to the, from the apartment where we had lived with less people than I'd ever lived before. And the corner store was super expensive, but we had no car and no choice. Mom had set up the credit account there. Every week we would charge it and she would give me money to pay on the bill and charge this week's. So we were always a week behind. Now we had food. My favorite meal I really liked to cook and made it for most of my life was a half a pound of hamburger, a pound of spaghetti, one can of sauce, and a package of grape Kool-Aid. Sometimes my brother and I would wrestle to the floor over a piece of bread. We were very hungry. I used to put his floor, his food on the floor to eat with the dogs. I was very mean to him. We had cereal now because there was no babysitters to eat. I had, I had my share of white Wonder Bread with margarine and sugar sandwiches. Peanut butter and jelly was unheard of. Sometimes when we were really rich, we had Philly cream sandwiches and grape jelly. Now we called that living. The court also told help mom buy a large freezer that stood about nine feet tall that came fully loaded with meat called the Mighty Meat Plan. It had a fridge on the top and in the bottom it was full of all frozen meat, roasts, steaks, burgers. The thing was packed with meals and meat. She paid on it every week. It was expensive, taking five years to pay off. The trouble was we could never remember to take the meat out to thaw it and cook it. We would run the frozen meat under the faucet to thaw it. It would turn brown under the hot water. No one knew how to cook anything. Stealing little packs of lunch meat was way simpler. Since Ma could not cook to save her life, she brought things in boxes and trays and heated them up. TV dinners tasted really good. It seemed we were eating more and did not visit our grandparents' restaurant for years then. The break from them was final, and I guessed it was for the best. Isn't everything? I asked. I was brought into court for stealing food soon after the theft of the wallet. I am a young, worthless hoodlum of 11 going on 12. Hard as nails with liquid molten stainless steel running through my veins. When I was brought into court, the judge asked me outright, Are you going to steal, continue to steal food? Yes, I said, because I knew the consequences of not stealing was starving to death. Since I lived with starvation all my life, I know that my stealing just happens. I never intend to steal anything. My body just went into some mode and walked into a store and get some food. I never sat down and said, thank gee, I'll go steal me some. No, I just wandered around in and out, and when I was growling inside, I lifted what was ever around. I was skinny as a rail. I had no flesh, so it's not like I was stealing big deal things, meals or anything. 
I was stealing junk food and things I could run fast with. I never stole anything that I couldn't cook. What the hell is wrong with stealing any some basic food any anyways? I really did want to know. Yes was the final answer in the not so family courtroom. And to this question I said yes, I would steal food again if I had to. The judge roared another sentence. Send her to Ju- Juvie Hall for two weeks. As the gavel dropped, the crashing noise amazed me as the take was so final, just like on TV clapboard. There is no juvie hall close to my town for kids as young as me, so where are they sending me? Up the river. Everything was up the river from my house. Where I was, where was I going? This was a phrase when we were being put in jail, but no one knew what jails really were. I'd soon find out. I was taken from court in a police car to a house across the street from the county jail. It looked like a house, but it had a few lockdown units in it. It was a nice house, white. It had a green cell, a blue cell, and a pink cell with a slot in the metal door, a bed with a gray blanket and blue strip tick mattress. They put me in the pink room once to make me more of a girl. Then they put me in the green room to calm me down. I thought it was funny that color could calm me down. Everything was green, the floor, the ceiling, the walls, and there was a steel sink and a partitioned off toilet that flushed. I got clean towels once in a while. But what was amazing was the slot in the door was opened and I was passed a nice huge plate of food, all kinds of food, three times a day, a snack at night of cookies and milk, every day and every night. I could count on it. The prison woman cooked eggs, sausages, hot cereal, meat, gravy, tons of mashed potatoes, all kinds of vegetables and desserts. I decided this was not punishment at all and I loved the place. What did it matter that I didn't talk to anyone? I hated all adults anyway. One evening my friends stopped by in a car near the jail and screamed my name and I saw them waving through the tall tall grass. It made me feel so great and warm because they were violating all all of their rules too. When they let me out I was taken back to courtroom again. The first time the door was opened, I went directly past Go, into the police car, into handcuffs for the ride to the friendly family court. Walked up the back stairs of the county building and down the long hallway to the top floor of the family court where all of us juveniles were tried. My mother was there. My probation officer was there. The high pulpit box made the judge seem like a jolly black giant, and he was a monster, waving his big black flapping robe. The judge was standing up in the safety of his pulpit and waving his arms, hollering, are you still going to steal food? He demanded to know. I thought a long time and having no alternatives presented, I said, yes. And Send her back for two more weeks. Punch in the gut amazed. What did I say wrong? 
I could not believe that these people thought I should accept my alternative as death. I was safe in a way I had never been. There was no one to disturb my sleep during the nights. No jitterbugging teens, no laughter, no midnight brawls of angry mobs yelling and swearing in the streets below and the hallways outside. There was no, there was the sound of birds in the morning and good food brought in at regular times in jail. Even though the people never talked to me, I remember their hands. Sometimes it was the woman, sometimes it was the man. I'm eating. I began to get really, really scared because they had the keys and though no one had ever opened that door. I was began to think I was being held and at some point they were going to bust through the door and kill me. I thought I was going to be dragged off, raped and strangled and put in the nearby cemetery just across the field in plain view. Who would know? I was really given a death sentence, right? Could be. I didn't know. I hadn't spoken to only anyone, and the only word I had uttered in a long time was yes in that courtroom, and now I'm back in jail. And so I have totally decided I am done talking, and I will not speak again. Because it seems everyone is so upset by what I do say, and no one ever asks me anything directly or up in my face. I never have conversations with adults. I decide that talking is just a waste of time because I don't have anyone to talk to. I don't speak for a very, very long time. My fear had gotten lonely and difficultly played in my restless soul this time on lockdown. I will have been locked up for three whole weeks in solitary with no, no contact at all. And the last time I saw my mom was in court. I didn't have any, she didn't say anything or have any emotional reaction toward me. I'm sad. My grandmother was there and she cried. I felt ashamed. I saw her disappointed face. She had a face and tears trickled down her fat Greek cheeks. I used to rub her feet. I see her wound up hair in the braid in her small flower print dress. She sure was a big woman. I wondered if she speaks any English yet. Waiting to grow old, I would sit there cross-legged at my bed and I waited for days and days and the only interruptions were the slot opening, bringing my reward for absolute stillness was luscious food. Then, one time, action took over me. While I was imagining the people in the house busting in the door to take me out to kill me, my heart was racing and pounding. I sat still with my eyes on the door, waiting, and then, just then, a flood of bright light entered my chest. This light was poker hot and white and yellow and streamed from Jesus' own sacred heart from the famous painting at Catholic school. Jesus was flooding my chest with white light from his heart and I was filling the room up with light. I was being lifted up. I was filling the room with my body's heat and light. I am terrified because I think I am dying. I think I'm having a heart attack because my chest hurts so bad. I think I'll crash down on the bed dead, but then I hear a voice 
And Jesus spoke to me directly, saying, directly, don't worry, my child. You are mine. There was a voice, a real voice, and I felt such calm, peaceful simmering in my blood began to return to room temperature. I was spinning with warmth and my breathing leveled out and I felt safe inside my body. I had been taken and returned safely, and I know that Jesus had claimed me as his. I knew this in my soul, that even if they do come and kill me, I have a little place that can never be killed. My heart had received the light from the sacred heart of Jesus' chest, so young to be pierced. I'm sure they will kill me, but I'm satisfied knowing that this place in my heart will never be killed. I believe this and I feel protected and I thank Jesus. Alone and protected, my soul has come to life. I decide never to speak of this or they will kill me for sure if they find out. Crazy as I may be, I'm not a moron like many of my friends. No one has to know, just me and Jesus. I feel electric now. Electric, alive, alone, scared, and taller and smarter and wiser. I surely did not need to wreck it by talking to stupid, angry adults. I don't need them. My tears are dried up. I cannot cry again. I become expressionless, motionless, and sat cross-legged for hours on end on a thin mattress blue tick bed. I feel safe, even though I accepted they're going to kill me. I have no fear and accept death when it comes. I sleep well and continue to enjoy the food. My death will be uneventful when it comes. I pray and think. Back to the court again with the whole timeless ordeal. And the judge asked me, well, what did you learn this time? Are you going to steal food? I don't answer and he growls because I won't talk no matter what he says and how he flapped his black wings like the miserable, miserable crow with glasses. I want a rock to throw at his ugly face. I can't hear a word he's saying, even though he was hollering and I've become deaf too. He did ask my mother what to do. I can't do anything with her, she said. What do you want me to do with her? The black crow judge crowed at my mother and she said, I can't control her. And there was silence, complete silence, silence. I looked at the long windows on the left side of the courtroom and planned to run and jump through them. Death. On the top floor, surely I will die, a bloody splat on the sidewalk below, and this would be great. I see the sunshine, the window pane glass, the yellow light reflecting off the dust particles floating around the room, just like my spirit, aimless, bouncing here and there. Run! Run! I think, get a good running start, and I'll surely jump right through the window, but my feet don't move. Run, run, jump, I'm telling myself my feet are glued to the floor, and I fucking do it, and I'm commanding, but myself won't budge. A small voice began to break the deafening, dust-clouded silence of the courtroom. A voice small I tried to ignore. I surely focused on the familiar voice of Jesus. I started straight ahead and focused on the stinking, rotten old wood, heated by the hot summer sun to the point of nearly baking. 
You know, I really do love the smell of baking dry wood. There's nothing like it in the world. I thought, taking my last breaths, I was really, really ready to run for that fucking window. Yes, yes, I know I can do it. Put her in my custody. A voiceless voice clamored from somewhere near the door, destroying the silence and breaking the moment wide open in the yellow dust. I wheeled it around and focused on a short priest in a long black robe with a wooden rosary tied at his waist. There was the big effing crucifix again. Oh, God, not this again. I shuddered and shrank. Here I'd gone away from the Catholic schools and public schools. I'd become a real juvenile delinquent, and I'm the furthest thing from these freaking nice Catholic kids. And now, now, a priest is here? Here, in the juvenile not-so-family courtroom? I can't believe my eyes. I was so mad, I unleashed the fury of wild horses being strangled by pythons rolling on the desert floor, gagging and gasping for breath, whinnying and kicking their stiff legs up in the air, writhing on their backs. They protest, they fight, they snarl. I am them. I do not willingly come to the corral. No. I become unleashed. I let the small priest have my hate. All of it. Surely this is what the girl in the movie Exorcist is all about. This green puking vomit was her hatred and I had it. I was Marilyn Monroe also in her last role in The Misfits with Clark Gable as she begged and fought for them to stop breaking the horse's spirit. She was that horse and I saw it. I knew it. Nobody did a horse's soul like my Marilyn. As she was ugly, I was ugly. As she was defiant, I am defiant. As she was alone, I am alone. This girl in The Exorcist was just expressing the foul hatred typical of adolescents gone wild from chronic disconnection from physical plane with their green projectile vomit. The scars she wears are the tears or wounds she gets in childhood by rapers, drunks, bums, uncles, and a culture that says, you know, now that we've used you, we can't stand to look at you, so die. This is who we are, all part of life in the big city, and who doesn't know that? I surely think she looks fine in her horror role. I can relate. I wish I could puke like that. I wasn't a puker, though. I was just a bleeder. I think the voice I hear coming out of me is a roar, not my own, though. I wonder sometimes if it is the devil. Indeed, if the devil has gotten in me. Just last week, God was inside me. You know, could the nuns be right? Can the devil get in, too? I fuss and swear and extremely mad because, after all, this bastard priest now has made me speak again. I wasn't going to speak anymore, and now I did the bastard. He put me in his custody. I will be responsible for her, the priest said, and the whole court and everyone was shocked and relieved because now they were off the hook. I was on the hook. Oh, fuck. Everyone went home. Court adjourned. A priest. Now, what could be worse than that? Bang, 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 panning on the door again. I opened it only because the bastard was going to break it down and found the little priest 
shit, I was sleeping so soundly. That's when I slept after she left. She slept next to me in the bed and often slapped my face when I was asleep. Now he's really fucking mad at me. He talked a lot, but I couldn't hear his words. I can see his face moving, but I can't understand what he's saying. He's speaking to me. I can't speak because, well, I don't talk. I really can't hear him. I really can't. My mother did buy me clothes, though. She bought me clothes before she bought food. Sometimes in the 60s, she got credit. The priest rifled through my closet and chose a long, rather nondescript dress. Before, Mom used to pay on layaway a weekly fee. Now she charges things and still pays the bill. But hey, we can have stuff now. She buys clocks, jewelry, hats, and gloves, and dog food. So at this point, I'm racking up accomplishments galore in my life. Let's see here. I'm expelled from middle school in grade 9 for what I don't know exactly since I did not start any fires. I've been in solitary confinement for three weeks. I'm on probation with a list of laws that I can't even read. They're so long, nobody can read. I do not talk to anyone anymore. I cannot talk to any of my friends. And now, here I am taken by a Catholic priest to the Catholic high school where I thought I could, I didn't think things could get worse. Not the Catholics again. So now, I'm forced to march to the new school with him, and I'm told to lay low. The priest talks nonstop, but I can't hear him. I waited outside the door in the principal's office while he pleaded to the father principal, saying to him, please do take her in. And Father said, I don't want that bad apple in my barrel, and I don't want her here. And the young priest begged, do it for me as a special favor to me. I heard my new short priest say, favor? Fuck all these people. I don't need them. I moved way down the hall so I couldn't hear. The priest had pulled my hair back into a ponytail. It was slick on my scalp, and my face was scrubbed clean of all makeup. He wouldn't let me tease up my hair and wear it long. He wouldn't let me paint my face. I did nothing to fight him. I just sort of went along now. I just thought I looked ridiculous standing there in the hallway with my long dress on, covering my knees and my hair all flat and stringy. Then I noticed kids from other schools I went to. Some were from the west side and some were from the east side, and they said hello to me. Though years had passed, I didn't remember them. I even spotted the girl who used to live in my garage in the rooftops, and it's been so funny that she was here now. And then kids would stop me in the hallway. Do you remember beating me up? No, no, I didn't. You're a liar because I never beat you up. Well, I didn't remember anything like that. And then I was wondering, did I do these things? I wonder if I did set fires. I did not. I didn't do it. It was possible. When the little priest walked back to greet me. He was red in his face. Now, he was shamed and felt so humiliated, but he said, you have to do whatever you're told. And he really was firm. And I felt very sorry for him. He said, the school is going to help raise you. 
Now the rumors, rumors started about me at the new school and everyone knew I was expelled from public schools. They even knew I was in a gang and on probation. I'm in the bad seat now, but even the good Catholic kids were curious about my gang and street smarts, even if the principal hated me. The principal said things so bad that I knew this was going to be way worse than being sent away up the river, wherever in the hell that was. He began by belittling me, telling me, I don't want you making friends with any of my good children. You're ordered to be alone most of the time. I gagged and choked at the ridicule, feeling the exorcist girl's scar boils with green heat. Getting along with these kids seemed mysterious as hell to me. What would I ever do with them? Fighting was not an option here because, well, these boys and girls never swing a punch, never to save their lives, and I could beat the shit out of them or kill them before they'd even know what to do. And these kids laughed all the time. They didn't have sports, but they laughed all the time. They ran and they were silly, something I knew nothing about. They swear like hell and they snicker about boys, but most of them are versions when they start going steady and then they have sex out of wedlock. They do a lot of babysitting for their sisters and feel awful for most of high school. They wear their boyfriend's heavy class ring around their neck like a weighted choke chain, all tied up like a pit bull. I did it too. It was awful to me. These girls got married most immediately after high school and got pregnant and had to drop out. I was on that period pill, you know, I was still getting it through my probation officer, but I didn't even know I was safe. How the hell was I going to get along with these fruitcake kids with fruit fruitcake kids with no basketball teams, no teased up hair, no makeup, no dancing? What a fashion nightmare, too. These were just plain, horrid clothes, and all oh, the pity of it. Twirly skirts with matching purses. I could just puke. Now I've got more rules at the new school, in addition to all my other rules. Detention, alone, every day, for the rest of this school year, from 3 to 5, in the science lab, in the science room. No sports, as if these freaking Catholics had any athletic talent or sports, what to speak of. God, these are such a bunch of queers. The remainder of the freshman year, I went to school, talked to no one, didn't eat any lunch, and went to the science room from 3 to 5 p.m. There I sat in silent meditation, wondering if I was ever going to start to utilize the time God had allotted me for something wonderful, valuable, and contributory. Why were my feet blocked from running with my internal energy? The chart of chemical elements hung above. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the chart of chemical elements hung above the blackboard on the wall. I stared at it for two hours every day for my entire ninth grade. What does this mean? I wondered, I will never find out, being told by Sister Holy Mother Uniboob. Sister, I would like to take sciences. I would like to take classes. And she said back to me, you are too dumb to understand any science or math, so you won't be taking any of these classes. So that meant the closest to science I was going to get to chemical was going to get was with the chemical element chart hanging over me. I sat with my hands folded comfortably, keeping still and silent 
until I dismissed myself when the second hand hit the 12. Thank you for listening. This has been test free.